Modern comforts like electricity, cars, and agricultural machinery have all reduced our reliance on domesticated animals. But for most of human history, animals had to live with humans. How did we share living spaces in a civilized way? Find out today on Footnoting History. Welcome to Footnoting History. My name is Leslie Skousen. Today we are going to explore the relationships between animals and humans, especially when animals followed their natural instinct in a way that did not fit with the human lives around them. A few weeks ago, my cat came happily into my room to show me her kill, a mouse. I restrained myself from giving in to my initial instinct, which was screaming like an idiot, and set to work looking for evidence of an infestation in my new home. Was this a single stray mouse or part of a larger problem? Fortunately for me, this poor mouse was the only one that I found. And since then, my cat has been complaining loudly about the lack of living toys in my house. It has brought me to start thinking about the historical relationship between vermin and humans and the creative ways in history that humans have devised for dealing with creatures who dig holes in our houses or chew away at our crops. For instance, in ancient Egypt, rats were associated with Sakhmet, the goddess of pestilences. Rats were treated as a sign of her influence, and the presence of rats was often viewed as a harbinger of bad news, presumably worse than the news that one had rats. In a way, rats were almost helpful in allowing humans to be extra careful for the determination of the fates. In another example, Mughal India would remove insects, rodents, and other vermin, but tended not to kill them as they were useful in various social traditions relating to Hinduism and maintaining a peaceful balance between human civilization and the natural world. And in the early stages of the European colonization of Africa, large predators like hyenas, lions, and leopards were treated as vermin and killed in order to prevent competition or the reduction of herds on the larger European farms. Animals enabled human civilization to grow, but they also became a nuisance at times. And this brings us to medieval Europe, where some villagers reacted to the presence of unwanted pests by putting the animals on trial for their sinful behavior. I love this idea. Who among us have not wanted to extract vengeance upon an unwanted visitor in the kitchen? Even putting pests and vermin on trial in abstentia had to underscore a sense of order to the universe, that all of us were on earth, and all of us, animals included, would one day face judgment for our behavior. And so, on the 14th of June in 1494, a pig was formally arrested for the crime of suffocating a young child in its cradle. The parents had been busy tending to their chores when the pig got into the house and attacked the baby. The porker was detained as a prisoner and confined in an abbey while a jury was assembled and the trial held. Upon being pronounced guilty, the pig was strung up in the square on the very same gallows used to punish human convicts. In 1488, the French government released an order that all towns should make loud public proclamations against the population of slugs. These slugs were to quit the territory where they were found. The slugs were ordered to refrain from destroying the herbs in the fields and the vines in the gardens, they were to depart the area immediately. 
One can only imagine where the slugs were supposed to go, but they were definitely unwanted in France. A public bans read aloud was not so unusual. This was the same legal method used to force unwanted groups, from traveling mercenaries and homeless vagabonds, to quit certain areas in 16th century England. Compare this public proclamation against slugs with the English statutes of 1530 and 1554, both titled Against Egyptians. These two statutes were read aloud throughout the countryside. They demanded that all Roma people, at the time called Egyptians or better known as gypsies, to leave the shores of England within 40 days of the public reading. The parallels here are striking. Both were considered a nuisance, and both were banished through a very public reading of a new policy before given a specific time period to leave the area under penalty of death. To be fair, the Roma people and homeless children under the age of 14 were allowed to stay. There was no such consideration for adolescent slugs. The townspeople in France and England did not only use the courts as a way to pursue execution and banishment for unwanted animals. At times, the animals were even provided with a vigorous defense in court. Such defense lawyers used the totality of the law to provide the best justification for their client's animalistic behavior. And so, in 1510, a swath of barley crops were utterly destroyed in an infestation of rats in the French countryside. The rodents were charged and cited to appear in court on a specific day. However, rats being rats, they failed to appear. Their appointed court attorney, the French lawyer Bartholomew Chassonet, attempted to seek justice on their behalf. He drew inspiration from legal protections for poor and sick people who committed crimes under the duress of their living conditions. Essentially, he argued that the rats had consumed the crops in desperation of hunger. Chassonet then went further by manipulating the legal protections for the sick and the elderly and applied them to his defendants. One legal loophole, for instance, allowed an accused defendant to avoid coming to the physical trial if traveling to do so would cause harm or death. So envision a frail defendant on a sickbed. Chassonet argued that traveling to court could lead to these rats being put to death, so coming to court would put their lives in danger. He also argued that even traveling through the countryside filled with cats could be a life-risking measure for the rodents. Interestingly, the judge declared a recess in order to consider these points. A time to resume trial was never set, and one supposes that the rats lived a full life on their stolen barley. Bartholomew Chassonet was something of an animal rights activist, using his legal training to afford animals the best defense when they stood accused of crimes that are probably best described as just being animals. Chassonet argued with great enthusiasm that animals should be considered as the same as lay people, and their possible learning must be considered when putting animals on trial. This becomes important during the 16th century when Chassonet lived, as some lay people were allowed to claim the traditional priesthood exemption known as benefit of clergy. If a beetle, for instance, the insect, were found guilty of destroying crops, surely its similarity to the title of a learned beetle gave the insect the right to claim benefit of clergy? In a shocking twist, Chassonet argued in favor of forgiving animals by allowing them this 
priesthood exemption from punishment that was designed to protect the men and women of God from the secular and violent punishments of the royal court systems. Yet that is not all. Chassinet argues generally that animals are incapable of committing crimes, innocent as they are, in the eyes of God, and incapable of such things as baptism or sacraments. He even quotes the Bible as a precedent, citing the example of Balaam, who was chastised by an ass. Perhaps Chassinet was genuinely concerned about the lives of animals. It seems quite unfair to convict farm animals of bestiality and execute them after a lonely field hand had abused them. Yet extermination of vermin and pests served as well a social good, especially during a period when the plague returned with some regularity. Chassinet was likely simply playing a philosophical game with the law, similar to that of Thomas More in Utopia or Erasmus in his various works. In some ways, it is wondrous and fantastic to read about a courtroom drama centered around a mother pig, for instance, who committed infanticide against her piglets, or in another example, a horde of locusts chomping away at the fruits of a farmer's labor. And yet it is not so far-fetched from our own modern solutions. For example, if a dog attacks a neighbor, that dog will surely be declared violent and put down. How is this euthanasia different from execution? A pet that turns violent may feel like an extra layer of betrayal, but even wild animals can be subject to what may legally be called execution or banishment. Consider a bear who wanders into town or a wolf that builds a home in a suburb, both may frequently be killed or removed by force. In modern times, we call animal control to trap and release in the case of protected but dangerous animals, or to destroy humanely those beasts which put the human population at risk. No trial is necessary. Like the instincts of my cat, we see an unwanted animal and we sentence it to death. Is the medieval approach just a way of playing with the legal system? Or were they onto something by granting animals some basic human rights while living among humans? It is difficult to say, but these trials from hundreds of years ago certainly make for interesting reading. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes.